All right, what's going on? This is GK coming at you from an extremely quiet and dark monastery. Monastery, monastery. We've just had the winter solstice, longest night of the year. The nights are long. The nights are long and the nights are cold and the nights are dark. We recently ended our Hongo intensive training period. Feels like a dream. I regret not uploading, not recording more frequently. But I guess I always told myself that I couldn't, I didn't have the time even though yeah, I easily could have prioritized. But regardless, I'm here now. Um, things became very, very difficult for me around Thanksgiving. Just continued to experience a tremendous amount of fear, a tremendous amount of panic. And... Um, really was able to avoid it with a little bit of free time that we had during Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving weekend. And then we returned to the final sequence of Ango, which consisted of uh, a schedule, uh, like, you know, week, monastery week. Um, a week of Ango schedule followed by the Rohatsu, Sashin, to celebrate the awakening of Shakyamuni Buddha and to just close out an entire year of training. I was only able to attend the, the last three of these Sashin, the three big ones, along the long longest session of the year and the third longest, the, the Rohatsu, till a little bit longer than, than uh, most of the session, most of the monthly session. And it's finally over. And I just can't even believe I made it. I was so overwhelmed with fear. I was sure that I would not make it. There were many times during that session, that last one, the Rahatsu, that I just made the decision to leave. I decided, I can't do this. There's no way I'm doing this. I just, you know, decided to leave. I was so scared about everything going wrong. I guess that's what I want to talk about, like what I experienced um, since my last recording, which I don't really remember, of course, everything. But what I consider most important events internally, in terms of my practice life, and how I'm interacting with these things going forward and uh, presently. So I was overwhelmed with this fear of everything just going wrong, period, just everything completely collapsing on me. You know, of randomly swallowing during Zazen and, and not being able to. 
not being able to do that normally, which would cause me to just not be able to keep the forms, and that's embarrassing. That's, you know, that's a problem because this and this and that and the other thing. There's this whole crisis. So nothing happened. Everything is fine, you know. But the fear just wouldn't go away. I eventually realized that I wanted to leave Sashin so that I could properly process everything that I was going through, all this fear that I was experiencing. I essentially wanted to leave Sashin so that I could meditate, ironically. And once I realized this, I began to consider, okay, well then, what does that practice look like? That the practice of of properly, you know, interacting with this fear, properly processing this fear. What does it look like? Does it look like this? Does it look like that? Eventually settled on what it looked like and decided to attempt to do that um, during scheduled zazen. And, uh, and that's when I began to turn things around. And that at that point I decided maybe... I can do that here. I don't need to leave. So I didn't leave. I didn't leave Rahatsu. I didn't leave. But I was quite sure that I would. I really made the decision to leave. I decided I would leave. I would spend the night at the hotel close by. And then I would come back at the end with my tail between my legs and just move everything out and never darken their door here at the monastery. I was so sure of it that I couldn't do it. And Roshi continued to remind me, you've done this many sashin. All the evidence points that you'll be able to finish this one, period. And there is no evidence whatsoever that points to you not being able to finish. But I still was not convinced. That fearful, the, the side of me that, that panics, that voice inside of me that panics, was not convinced. But as I interacted with it in this new way, things began to change. I began to see the kind of the origins of these fears and how old this fear is. And also, I would just talk to the fear directly and ask it, you know, what? What am I afraid of? Like, what are you afraid of, really? Like, what is actually happening? Really, very intensely. Like, you know, how, how can I know you? How can I really know you? How deeply can I know this fear? What is really happening here? And I just couldn't find an answer. There was no answer. It was just this fear just continued to just pass through me. It was so intense, all this horrible horrible dread, this terror that just continued to rise and rise and rise for no reason. There was just no reason. Afraid of random things. Afraid of my arm dislocating, for example, during Sazen, which is, you know, ridiculous. It, it's not inconceivable that that could ever happen. But to fear it constantly is a bit much. A bit much.
you know. So a fear that I just would randomly choke and on saliva during Zazen and just have some kind of panic episode. It wasn't happening. And of course, I noticed that the more I relaxed my mind, you know, and the more I moved my awareness from that surface level of the mind, which is where that voice of fear seems to live, the, you know, the story of the fear, that's where, where it lives. It's at that surface level. Then it, it wasn't there. So when I swallowed, it just happened completely reflexively. There's this threshold at the back of the mouth um, where, because of what I experienced, I don't even know if I've ever talked about it on this thing, this, you know, podcast, uh, show, radio show, whatever the hell you can, we, I, I can call this that I'm doing. Um, but it was the, uh, just getting back to the, how, how this fear of swallowing works. Apparently has a name called auto-restrictive food intake disorder, and there are people who specialize in it, and it's awesome. We'll, we'll see what, what kind of help I can get, um, put myself in touch with um, with the right help. Some psychologist. Anyway. There's just threshold, like in the back of the tongue, in the back of the throat. When we swallow, we uh, push with our tongue. Just kind of slide it back there very unconsciously. And then the body just swallows reflexively. And it'll keep swallowing until the uh, trachea is no longer blocked. Usually it takes one swallow to do the trick. But I had an experience where a piece of chicken stuck to my tongue. It was so dry. It stuck to my tongue, and then it kind of like gave me the impression that I was going to choke, and I just panicked. And um, the following day, the lockdown started for the pandemic, and it was just a horrible experience. And for two months, I just was not able to eat any solid foods because I couldn't relax. I couldn't relax this fear. And I thought that coming here to the monastery would make it go away. And it didn't. And now I'm thinking, maybe when the pandemic ends, it'll go away. But when's that going to happen? You know? It's crazy. So anyway, what I've noticed is that if I really, really, really put my awareness into my body, into the sensations of my body, then the fear just doesn't have a lot of foothold. And furthermore, if I relax, then the fear doesn't have a place to sit anywhere in the body. I'll notice so often when I'm sitting down to eat, I'm just like clenching my, my whole body. And then if I relax, then the fear just doesn't have any place to sit. And then the other method, I guess, to interact with this fear at the surface level of the mind is 
to speak to it, you know? Like, where do you come from? How can I know you? How deeply can I really know you? And then when it says, you know, when it, it says its thing, its, its story about what's going to happen, everything is going to go wrong, something terrible is about to happen, you're about to have this kind of experience, and it's going to be the worst thing ever. Just really, like, really, really, really sincerely wondering and asking it directly, is that true? I mean, is that really true? Is that so? Is that going to happen? Is that what's about to happen here? You know? Is that really what's about to happen? Lo and behold, turns out, no, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> so you just got to, I just got to keep track of this thing because, you know, it's so easy to have this kind of operate in the background unconsciously. I can't let up, you know, I practice, keep track of it. So, the night after the solstice, quiet monastery, less and less people every day. Down to four of us total. Out of like 20 something, out of 20 I think. Down to four. Barely nobody. It's actually pretty cool. Just chilling, no schedule, watching movies, reading books, playing music. We got a little trip planned, my buddy and I, up to the coast. Might get snowed in. <laughs> this little uh, yurt out there on the on the beach at the Cape. gonna be pretty cold what else do I have to say there's a recent incident here it was very very embarrassing it just kind of really put me in touch with A lot of memories around shame and, and embarrassment around food, of all things. I happen to be grabbing a piece of fudge from this humongous tray of a thousand sweets. And I was like publicly told by my teacher, just instead of eating it, just to watch the desire arising, you know, and it was an extremely triggering moment for couple of my friends and they stepped in to defend me really and they also had their own situations that were a big part of how they reacted to that feedback to that instruction and it was incredibly painful it became a battle of the precepts 
was the initial incident, and then it was kind of escalated into a really intense back and forth. It's funny how living at a monastery, like the most, one of the most aggressive things you can say is like, you know, just very firmly say, I'm very uncomfortable. Like that's, that's a fight somehow. <laughs> that's how low the bar is, you know, like that's, that's considered like, like a, you know, an argument or whatever, like a really intense argument. And, um, Oh my God, that was a very intense moment. I just happened to find myself literally in the middle of this whole thing and um, have spoken with um, various people about it and with, you know, Roshi himself trying to get to the bottom of what happened and... Um, just continuing to wonder whether or not I'm just making excuses for him or if I'm trying to, or, or if I am, you know, zeroing in on the wisdom underneath the, um, the strong, unexpected instruction and how triggering it was for me and for my friends who were very upset. <laughs> and, um, if anything, I'm actually proud of them. But um, getting back to you know Roshi's in, uh, memory of the incident, what he is pointing out to me, first of all, is how spontaneous it was. So it was something that he was not expecting himself to say, which is. Uh, an interesting thought and furthermore how he was saying how you know it, it's it's not about the food itself it's about desire you know and he said as much at the time you know if you're someone who cares about liberation you have to look at desire you have to look at the root of desire and this is something um, that certainly is a part of, of my of my practice in terms of is something that that, that I, I I feel terribly conflicted about. And um, to be thrown into um, to basically practice with it, you know, so publicly is really difficult. Um, to basically be forced to kind of present my koan of desire very unexpectedly in front of everyone, literally everyone. I mean, everyone who, who, who lives here, like everyone, you know, who lived here at the monastery on that day. Just burned the incident into my brain. What am I to do with this? I don't know. But I feel very encouraged regardless by these people, by Roshis, by Sensei, by my peers, my seniors and my juniors, or, you know, if that makes sense. I feel very encouraged.
And um, I'm tired of feeling sorry for myself. I just have spent so much energy and time of my life feeling sorry for myself, continually telling myself, I can't do it. I can't finish it. I can't. I can't keep going. I'm not strong enough. There's no way. And then what happened is I keep going and, and it and it's over. Like I, I, I did it, you know. I it was alive. It happened. I did it. So what am I afraid of? I had a very powerful experience of panicking that really um I don't even know what to say about that, but it was so intense. I was just sitting in Zazen, overwhelmed with this fear and not knowing what was going to happen. And I just started kind of yelling on the inside, just please, just, I'll do anything for the strength to get through this, just please. And just throwing everything into this fire, just... I will do anything. I'll throw anything into this just to, you know, to have the, the, the courage just to be alive here and now. Because I, I just can't do this anymore. And then my practice of acceptance shifted, took this weird shift where I was the one sort of looking over myself from the air, from the sky, from space. You know, telling myself, I accept you, I embrace you, I accept you, I embrace you this acceptance practice. And telling myself, you are perfect just the way you are. Everything you need is within you. You are perfect just the way you are. And I just began crying. And there was this relaxation, this is this very deep catharsis at that point. And there was this incredible relaxation. And, you know, it was there for a little bit and then it goes away. But later, during the Rohatsu Sashin, I settled into a kind of new level of, of acceptance practice in order to process, I guess, all these terrible, overwhelming fears. And it's a practice that I discovered years ago, and I really didn't have a choice. I would lay there in bed, completely hopeless, filled with despair and depression, convinced that I would die of disappointment, so overwhelmingly disappointed in myself that I just knew that I would pass away. My heart just wouldn't be able to take it anymore. I would just die. And I would lay there just suffering and just dying, just knowing that I, that I would die and just completely releasing into the face of death. You know, what I thought was death, but actually was just pain, just all of my pain, all this disappointment, all this stored anger and resentment and bitterness, all this suffering just rolling through and, you know, just overwhelming me with, with all this angst, all this stress, all this tension. 
And, um, you know, the bright side is when you do that lying down, if the pain is too much, you just kind of go unconscious. You just fall asleep, which is, you know, excellent. So that translated to today, you know, years later in the Zendo, offering no resistance whatsoever to everything that arises, everything that arose. And this is what my practice has looked like since then, is to sit there in Zazen and concentrate on the sensations of the body and completely accept everything. Accept this heart, this body, this mind, and then moving outwards from the body, accepting this room, accepting the people around me, accepting all these relationships and friendships, accepting the world, accepting this universe, accepting everything, just sitting there completely accepting everything. I was telling uh, one of the recently ordained priests about this, and he says, well, that sounds to me like Shikantaza. I was like, yes, that's right. So funny. I've been looking at silent illumination this whole time. Wondering if, <laughs> wondering if I was making any sense of it. Because it's actually a lot harder when people speak of just sitting. Sometimes what they mean is sitting there daydreaming. But if you do it really, um, I, I want to say correctly, if you're very determined to actually do it very intensely, it's very difficult. Shikantaza is actually very difficult. Practice of silent illumination is very difficult. It takes a lot of concentration. It takes a great deal of effort to get into a, a kind of a sustainable rhythm of this open awareness, including all the senses, including the mind field, the body, everything. Sounds, sights, smell, taste, touch. Thoughts, feelings, beliefs, everything, everything. This was my practice. And going forward, I'll continue in this way. And may everything happen that I may be a source of love and wisdom in this universe, in this world. And I wish that for everyone listening as well. May we all become sources of love and wisdom in this world. May the universe turn whatever way it needs to turn for that to happen. Thank you.